Today I will be reading John 9, 1 through 11, both in English and Spanish. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. Al pasar Jesús vio un hombre ciego de nacimiento, y sus discípulos le preguntaron, Rabbi, ¿quién pecó, este o sus padres, para que naciera ciego? Jesús respondió, Ni este pecó, ni sus padres, sino que está ciego para que las obras de Dios me, se manifiesten en él. Nosotros debemos hacer las obras de que él me envió mientras es el día. La noche viene cuando nadie puede trabajar. Mientras estoy en el mundo, yo soy la luz del mundo. Habiendo dicho esto, escupió en tierra, hizo, paró con la saliva y le untó el barro en los ojos al ciego y le dijo, ve y lávate en el estanque de Siloé. El ciego fue, pues, y se lavó y regresó viendo. Entonces los vecinos y que los antes le habían visto que era mandigo, mandigo decían, ¿no es este el que se sentaba y mandigaba? Él es, decían unos, no, pero se parece a él, decían otros. Y él decía, yo soy. Entonces le decían, ¿Cómo te fueron abiertos los ojos? Él respondió, El hombre que se llama Jesús hizo barro, le untó sobre mis ojos y me dijo, Ve al enstaque de Siloé y lávate. Así fue que fue, me lavé y recibí la vista. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we're in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John. Last week we saw Jesus... Uh, in Jerusalem, stand up at the Feast of Tabernacles and say and declare, I am the light of the world. And, and he alone was the light of the world, is what he is saying. And now where we are in chapter 9 is sometime past that, Jesus is still in Jerusalem, and he and his disciples are passing through this area, and they pass by a blind man. 
And it wasn't just a blind man. The scripture tells us specifically it was a man who was blind from birth. And that raised a question for the disciples to Jesus. Uh, And don't we all have questions when we see something like that, right? When we see, whether in our family, in our lives, when we just pass by and we see some somebody in a situation like this, we wonder, man, how did that happen? And something inside us says, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. How did that happen? Uh, But the question particular that these disciples raised with Jesus is, they said, who was it that sinned? Jesus, who was it that sinned that caused this man to be born blind? Now, here's what's behind that question. Now, the Jews had been given the law of God by God through Moses. And in, those law, in that law, they had a clear set of commands of what was righteous and what was sin, what was right to do and what was not right to do. And it also laid out, the law did, consequences or curse for our sin. And so they, they, they saw that and they said, hey, we, we all clearly have, whenever we sin, we have guilt before God that has to be dealt with. It's a big thing the law deals with. How do we deal with our guilt before God? So they had the, the sacrificial system that would help assuage the wrath of God against the sins that had been committed. But, and this wasn't in the law, by the way, over time, the Jews have begun to kind of put two and two together in a way that God didn't specifically prescribe. And that, that was like this. They said, all right, if something bad happens to you, if you get a disease, if your house burns down, if you are handicapped for some reason, then that is a consequence for a sin that you committed. If you're, something bad happens to you, you get a disease, your house burns down, you get sick, something like that. What has bad has hap- have you done that would cause God to do this to you? They had a concept that if something bad has happened, it's because you did something wrong. You had sinned, and it, that thing that had happened to you happened to you because of that sin. And if you add that to the fact, like a lot of many Eastern cultures in Jewish culture, it's, it's what we call a, a shame-based culture. And that is, if you did something bad, it brought shame upon you and your family, and you would be ostracized. You could be ostracized and cast out of society because they didn't want what you had done to, to affect the people around you. as a shame-based culture. That's still very common today in a lot of cultures, and in ours in a different way, but in Eastern cultures. So if you put those two together, God had given this law, and there are consequences or curses for when we didn't keep the law, and they had put two and two together and said, man, if something bad happens to you, it's because you have broken some part of God's law, then you can see why this question came up for them. When they're walking by this man who was born blind, they're wondering, all right, this guy was blind, but he was born blind, so how did that happen? Did he sin somehow, like in his mother's womb? There are all kind of questions about that the rabbis would deal with. Did he somehow sin in the mother's womb, or did the mother and father sin that caused this man to be born blind? In other words, what brought this shame upon this man, upon his family? That's what they're asking. Who did wrong that brought this shame upon this man and his family? Because when you see this man standing there, blind from birth, there was a shame upon him and a shame upon his family, who has done wrong, who has sinned. Now, we live in an individualized society. The group doesn't decide if you're good or bad or in or out. The group doesn't decide who or what you'll be. You decide. 
You are free to become your most fully realized self. That's a, a quote that's out there. You're, you want to become your most fully realized self. And because of that, we live in what's called a, a meritocracy. Just stick with me, guys. I promise you I'm going somewhere. We live in a, a meritocracy. In, in, America, in a meritocracy, it means that you get what you earn. It means that you can go as high and achieve as much as far as your talent, your ability, your work can take you. You can achieve and rise as high as your talent, ability, cleverness, and hard work can take you. So the rewards don't go to those uh, whose society necessarily deems as in or out, but the rewards go to those who are the best, the brightest, the cleverest, the most able, the hardest working. In other words, we believe that the cream rises to the top. But that leaves us with questions too, doesn't it? What happens whenever the cream doesn't rise to the top or if you're not a part of the cream that rises to the top. What, what happens if you aren't necessarily, and I know you guys are sharp, but what if you aren't necessarily the brightest, the smartest, the cleverest, the most able? Or what if you are those things and things still don't work out like you planned or dreamed? What if things fail? What if you reach your goals even, but you realize that your life still doesn't look like you thought it would? You see, there's a lot of pressure in our society to be all that you can be, to be your most fully realized self and be the cream that rises to the top. When they say you can achieve and become whatever you want, but then you don't. It's often called a midlife crisis, isn't it? You reach a certain age and you realize, hey, I don't think I'm going to achieve Three quarters, two thirds, a half, a quarter of what I thought I would achieve. I'm not going to become what I thought I was going to become. And that doesn't just bring disappointment in a meritocracy, in an individualized society. You know what that brings? It brings shame. Why can't I be all that I thought I should be? I was just thinking about this whenever I was uh, during worship. Um, first number of years as a church, we weren't, I wasn't the kind of pastor I thought I needed to be. We weren't the kind of church I thought we should be. We weren't as big a church as I thought that we should be. And I did a lot of hiding. I was preparing the sermon, but actually when I look back now, I was really hiding during worship because I didn't want to face my own failure of how small the church was or how little I thought I had, it, had achieved, how little success I thought I'd had. I would hide afterwards. It would under be, a, be under a guise of something else. But as I look back, I can see I was hiding from my own shame because I had not become and done all that I thought I should become and all that I thought I should do. See, this family didn't just have to deal with this man's handicap. He didn't just have to deal with his own handicap. That was hard enough. That would be hard enough on his own. But they had to deal with the shame of people asking the question and their own questions. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to them? And they ask the question, why? And this is when it hurts. It cuts really close to our hearts, doesn't it? Why did this happen to me? You see, the world we live in is full of brokenness. It's full of disease. It's full of sin. 
And these are things that we see and we experience every day in this world, and we know inside our souls, we know this is not the way it's supposed to be. But whenever we don't achieve and we don't become, when there's something going on with us that we aren't all that we thought that we could or should be, there's a deep shame upon us upon a personal level and it can weigh us down. And many people spend vast amounts of money and time to try to consume things, entertainment, substance abuse, all kinds of things, work, family, anything that would keep me from having to think about how I am actually ashamed of who I am and what I haven't done. And the big question we all ask over and over again, whether we believe in God or not, is why did this happen? That's what the disciples asked Jesus here. Why was this man born blind? And we ask those questions. Why did he get cancer? Why has she always struggled so much with addiction? And there are questions that hit even closer to home. Why am I sick? Why do I struggle so much and always have with anxiety and depression? Why can't I get pregnant? Why have I always struggled so much with this particular temptation? Why is my family so messed up? Why am I so messed up? What's wrong with me? We ask out of pain and grief. We ask out of curiosity, God, why? Why is it like this? We ask because we're, more, we're, we're afraid that we're more messed up than anybody else around us. We ask because we're angry, and sometimes we even ask out of pride. But here's the thing. We need to ask. We need to ask the question. It's far better than ignoring and distracting ourselves with all the things that surround us that will allow us and enable us to ignore the gnawing question that is gnawing inside our soul. Why did this happen? What's wrong with me? And it's critically important that we ask. It's critically important who we ask. Do you notice who they asked? They asked Jesus. And that's a game changer. When you ask Jesus, it's a game changer because Jesus is a game changer. Because in Jesus, the man who was walking with them past this man who was blind was a God who was no longer unseen and distant. He was no longer unrelatable. In the middle of our questions of why did this happen and what's wrong with me, he came into the middle of our situation. He walked past this man who was blind. God was no longer distant, unrelatable. All of a sudden, God was human. They had been with him as he ate and slept and drank. They saw him laugh and they saw him overcome with grief. And so they knew they could ask him this question and not only get an answer, but they knew that this answer was from a fellow human who could relate. Not just a normal human, but a fellow human who could relate and understand the pain that they were under. To understand how those questions plagued their mind. Why did this happen? And here's why it's so important who we ask. Because we, there's a danger of trying to answer this question on our own. Notice their question and Jesus' answer. They ask the question, but he rejects their premise altogether. He answers it, but he rejects their premise. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this thing happened to them? 
And he says, no, it was neither of those things, but so that the works of God could be displayed. And that's why we need to ask Jesus, because we aren't very good at answering that question on our own, because we're not very good at connecting the dots. We aren't God, and we lack perspective. And it's because our view is affected by pride and shame, which are really two sides of the same coin, by the way. Because if we're doing well, we're full of pride. And we walk by that man saying, hey, Jesus, what did that man and his parents do that I didn't do or my parents didn't do that caused him to be born blind? If we're doing well, we're puffed up by our own performance. We're celebrating our victories over those of the people around us. Or we're in the abyss of shame if we don't succeed. We're destroyed by our lack of performance. We're embarrassed and we feel unimportant and unseen. And that's because we tie our value to our talent, our abilities, and our achievement. We tie our value to our talent, our abilities, and our achievement. So then when we see our problems like this blind man, we ask, what did I do? What did I do as opposed to that person over there? I I can't, I went through this terrible divorce. I've lost this child. I've dealt with this disease. Why me? What did I do as opposed to this person over here? What did I do? What did I do that caused this? Then can you see how that thinking just spirals into a darker and darker hole? We can't answer that question clearly because our, we are so full of pride and shame because we want to justify ourselves. We want to give ourselves value on our own apart from God. So therefore, we place them on our talent, our abilities, and our performance, things that we could not have done or could not possess if God didn't place them in us to begin with. But we have to go to somebody. We have to go to somebody who has far better knowledge and far greater perspective to get a good answer. Why did this happen? And if we listen to him, he will answer us. And he'll tell us. And here's what we find. Why was this man born blind? Why did this happen to you? Why did this happen to them? Do you know why? Because we are all cursed. As human beings, we know this isn't the way things should be, but we are all cursed. We see at the very beginning of the whole story in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die, for God knows when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that there was a, it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves one cloth. And this is what the result was. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, listen to this, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Those actions and the curse that resulted from those actions have become the state of humanity. It is the curse that we are all under. The curse of what the first man and the first woman did and then compiled with generation after generation of generation of generation of the same kind of rebellion, the same kind of brokenness, the same kind of sin, the same kind of pride and shame spiral over and over again. We don't just deal with the the curse of Adam and Eve. We deal with the curse of Adam and Eve and all the terrible decisions that all our forefathers have made since then. Plus, your own sin and your own rebellion, my own sin and my own rebellion piled on top of that. And do you see the question that God comes and asks Adam and Eve? The first question he asks them is, where are you? because they were hiding from him in shame. When they were made to have uninhibited fellowship with him, when sin and rebellion entered into the world, the curse fell upon them, and their first reaction, instead of running to their father, was to hide themselves from shame. Then the next question he asked them is, what is this that you have done? Because they had sinned out of their pride. And they were made to rely upon him for everything. See, that first question is the one that we skip. Where are you? Because by nature, because of sin and pride, we run and hide from him when he's the only one that can help us. When he's the only one that can help us. And that's where the beauty and the glory of Jesus comes in. He shows up. He meets this man in his blindness. Hear this. He enters our curse. The cursed ones who are hiding from him in pride and shame. Who He says, where are you? And they continue in their hiding. Yet he says, I will come to you in your curse. I will come to you in your hiding and I will find you. And he makes this astounding statement in John 9. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus saying this, your curse and your brokenness is an opportunity for me to show you what God is really like. What does it mean for the works of God to be displayed? Jesus is is saying this man was born blind. It wasn't necessarily because his parents or him, he caught their sin caused it directly as if they're any worse off than anybody else who's walking by who has their sight, by the way. But it is a result of sin. 
It's a curse that you all bear together. It's a curse for which you are all guilty. But his blindness and whatever your part of the curse is, whatever your part of the curse is, he says, I've come to take it, to bear it, and to heal it. That's what the works of God look like. This man was healed by Jesus. What does that mean for us? Does that mean that you will absolutely be healed of whatever physical ailment that you might have that's part of the curse? We know that's not the case. There are other people in, in Israel who were, during Jesus' lives, that were blind and continue to be blind. But in order for, to understand what this means for us and our sin and our suffering, we have to see what this sign that Jesus did was displaying, and it's this. Jesus is the Son of God made human. And he has come to take away our blindness, our spiritual blindness, our sin, and our suffering. See, this man who was born blind, he represents you. He represents me. And even in our sin, in our suffering, our pain, he got, Jesus can display the works of God if we will allow those things to cause us to see our great need for him. This is the works of God that were on display in this man's life. And the truth is this. Not only are we in the, under the curse, and Jesus came and entered into our curse, but Jesus came to overthrow the curse. He didn't just enter and say, I know what it's like. Man, I know what it's like. You can relate to me. Man, it, it is tough. Now I'm going to go back to heaven. I'll see you in a little while. He says, I came and entered into the curse in order to overthrow the curse. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He says this in Galatians, Paul says this in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us or purchased us back from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that, this is why, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus came to overthrow the curse we are under by becoming cursed for us. He bore the curse. He was wounded with our wounds so that we might be fully, completely, absolutely, totally healed. Not just patched up. Not, to, not just relieved of temporary pain and sickness. Not just by taking away our, the effects of our sin for a short amount of time, but by taking it all away for all time, abolishing the problem at its very root. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the curse that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed, made whole. You see, Jesus heals spiritual blindness in those that see their need. And that was the greatest need here. Not just this man's physical sight, though praise the Lord for that healing. 
And may the Lord do that in our midst. The greatest need here wasn't just this man's recovery of physical sight. That would have been nice until he died. The real problem that Jesus was addressing, the real miracle, was the healing of spiritual blindness. Of not seeing our current state and our sin and our great need of redemption. Of not seeing and worshiping the beauty and glory of God. Our spiritual blindness is the greater need because it's the underlying cause of all the effects of the curse that we are dealing with. I know some of you in your story, you're dealing right now, or you have dealt with terrible things. You know what those things are? They are the effects of the curse that is the underlying cause of those issues. And he came to break and heal us of that spiritual blindness because it's the thing that caused the physical blindness in this man. Our spiritual blindness is the greatest need that we have because it affects every single person. How many people walked past this man who was blind and said, what did he do or his parents do that my parents or I didn't do that I'm not dealing with? Therefore, I must be at a better state than this man is. But without seeing, I have just as great a need as this man who was born blind for Christ to come and save me of my spiritual blindness as he has. In fact... That man might be in a better state than I am because he might be more aware of his need for Christ to come and open his eyes than I am. This healing is only available for those who acknowledge their deep need. Those who no longer pretend that they're good. Those who no longer pretend that they've got it together. Those who no longer pretend that they are better than anyone else those that don't see their need, those who don't want any help. There were those around. That's what the last half of this chapter is about. In fact, most of this chapter is about those who saw either Jesus perform this miracle or saw the effects of this miracle on this man who was born blind and everybody knew it and they did their spiritual blindness kept them from seeing that the miracle had even occurred. And whenever they came to the fact that they couldn't, couldn't even deny that any longer, they said, no, this can't be a good man. It can't be a prophet. It certainly can't be the Messiah. It must be a sinner. They didn't want to see their own need. They missed the chance for the works of God to be displayed in them. Is that you? How much time and energy do you spend looking and acting like you are okay? Are you blind yet acting like you can see? Are you needy with Jesus right in front of you like all the people surrounding this blind man? Are you needy with Jesus right in front of you play acting like you have it all together? Are you offended by Jesus' claim that you are blind yourself? That's what he says at the end of this chapter. He says, this man was blind, but he says, he talks about the spiritual blindness of those who are around who couldn't acknowledge and wouldn't acknowledge that he was Lord and King. Are you offended by Jesus' claim that he alone can help you? See, the question isn't, 
what did this man or his parents do to cause this particular issue at this time? The question is, what have we all done that's caused this brokenness and this suffering? And will we let the tragic results of our own sin and rebellion, will we let it wake us to our great need for the Lord? See, this is the saddest part of this story. The saddest part of the story is not that this man had endured years of physical blindness, though that is very sad. It's not about that because he got to walk away rejoicing. He got to have a story. Hey, and he says it in the middle. He says, oh, hey, if, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. He had a story. At the end of the chapter, it says that he worshipped. Whenever he realized who Jesus was, he worshipped him. The saddest part of the story is the people who did not see and refused to see. Verse 24. So for the second time, that's the doubters, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, they're talking about Jesus, is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though he was blind, now I see. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast this man out. Because he kept saying, hey, Jesus really had saved me. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The saddest part of the story isn't that this man dealt with years of physical blindness. The saddest part of the story is for those who saw the healing and not only did they not want to believe it, but they didn't want to see Jesus for who he was. They refused to acknowledge their need for him to be their heal of their, to heal their curse, and they refused to worship him. This is what Jesus says. Verse 39. For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Don't let that be you today. Don't let that be you today. Let your part of the curse the things that you've experienced that, that cause you to say, why did this happen? Let your part of the curse cause you to see your guilt and your shame and your great need for Jesus Christ to redeem you. Don't hide. Don't yield to spiritual blindness. But come to him today that you may rejoice in the wonderful works of God displayed in Jesus. And believer, don't let hardness of heart creep into you. Because life hasn't turned out and is not turning out the way that you had hoped. And you've let that begun to determine for you your value in life rather than Jesus Christ and who he is for you, who he says you are, and who you are to him.
If that's you today, man, confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, please show me this morning. Please show me this morning how I, how I place my trust and my value in what I have done, who I am, my talent abilities, rather than who you are to me and who I am to you. And don't be, if you are one of these Pharisees, one of these leaders, one of these people standing on the outside who are clinging to spiritual blindness, rather than letting the curse that surrounds you cause you to see your great need for him, give it up and bow to him today and confess him as Savior and Lord. I'm going to pray, and if you want to respond to Christ in some way today, uh, we all have a way, all of us who are believers have a way to respond to him, and that is by the offered bread and juice, the body and blood of Christ offered for us on our behalf. But if you in particular want to respond to Christ, you want someone to pray with you, or you want to know more about what we've been talking about, I'll be on the front row. Uh, after communion, there'll be some people back in the prayer area in the back. They would love to pray with you. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Or feel free to wait after the service. I would talk with you as well. I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up for a communion as the band comes forward. We're going to have two stations, one on each side. As you come forward, as you see fit on the outside, you receive the, the bread and the juice. Take that back to your seats, and then John will come up and lead us in communion after everyone is served. Jesus Christ, we thank you. Though we are all under the curse, you came and you were cursed for us. We thank you that you bore our sin, you bore our diseases, you bore our curse for us so that we might be healed. Lord, we come to you this morning asking that you would heal us, asking that you would touch us, asking that you would draw us to yourself. Speak to us, Lord. Show us yourself in your broken body and your shed blood, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.